We want to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land in which this podcast is recorded, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations, whose sovereignty was never ceded, and this area's original name is Nam. We pay respect to them and their elders, past, present and emerging. You're listening to We Want to Be Better. It's a little mini-series, babe. Hi, my name is Bianca and I'm an alcoholic. I almost felt fated that one day I would end up saying those words. It wasn't so much a matter of if, it was a matter of when. But to be honest, I didn't want that. That seemed like a fate worse than death. A life without alcohol seemed grim. AA seemed horrible. If I had the choice between slowly poisoning myself to death with alcohol or getting sober and pining after booze the rest of my life, I was going to choose drinking myself to death. Even when alcohol was no longer fun for me, even when I actually hated drinking, even when I wished I could stop getting blackout drunk, I would still rather drink than go sober. So I kept drinking under the assumption that I would be able to slow down my drinking before it got to that stage because, yeah, maybe I'd end up an alcoholic. But also, maybe I wouldn't because, you know, I'm just better than that. Alcoholics had always seemed broken and lost to me. They were miserable, poor, pathetic souls. And I operated under this disillusion that they were different to me. They were just spineless people who had had too much of a good thing. And whilst the writing was on the wall that I was heading that way, I still held on to this notion that, nah, not me. I'm different. I wouldn't let it get that bad. I've still got a handle on this. I can stop anytime I want to. Alcoholics can't help themselves. That's why they end up in AA. They're drinking because they're running from something in their lives. That's their problem. They drink to drown their sorrows, but I drink to celebrate my success. I'm a fun drunk, not a sad one. I wouldn't end up like that. I'm able to control my drinking. I just choose not to because it's not that bad. That was my problem. I had led myself to think that alcoholics were different to me, that only the weak-willed ones let themselves become alcoholics. And that wasn't me. I'm strong. So yeah, nah, it's never going to happen to me. So I can just keep drinking as I am and I'll be fine. The term alcoholic was actually stopping me from stopping drinking. I desperately wanted to stop the drunk nights, the bedwetting, the word vomit, the shame, the anxiety, the depression, the misery. But I was so scared to be labelled an alcoholic and give up drinking forever that I ignored the red flags and kept on trucking. I was in limbo, hating the life I was living but seeing no other alternative. I was stuck. I was trapped. There was no way out. I couldn't breathe and I was drowning. Drowning in a bottle of vodka. Drowning in a cask of wine. And I couldn't ask for a life raft because once people knew I couldn't swim, they'd never let me dip my toes in again. Hi, I'm Annie and I'm... Wait, why am I here? I'm not an addict. I'm not sitting on a park bench with a bottle in a paper bag. There's no needle in my arm and I'm not spending money that means my children go hungry. Get a grip. That's what an addict is. A real addict. You know, a true addict. That's the way I know it. 
Isn't that the way we all know it? There are true addicts and then there are people like me that just make human mistakes. It's them, the addicts, and us, just the humans that have hiccups. Seeing those people that I thought were true addicts made it quite reassuring that I wasn't like that. I would never have to reflect on my own relationship with alcohol when there was someone always drunker in the room. Actually, it was often my best friend. But what I quickly realised is that addiction is not always what someone is addicted to or even how it presents itself, but it's the motives behind it. And for me, it was escapism. With that in mind, the likelihood is that then we're nearly all addicts. Do you work so much you neglect seeing your family? Maybe you shop until your credit card is maxed out. Are you exercising so much that your periods have stopped? Are you scrolling on your phone not realising that the screen light is still shining on your face at 2am? Do you get headaches when you don't get your morning coffee? It's easy to be righteous just because we aren't vomiting in the street or running out the back to rip a bong in the kid's treehouse. I shouldn't have prided myself on the simple fact that I wasn't wetting the bed like Bianca because my relationship with alcohol wasn't peachy and ticked many of the boxes of an addict. Sometimes I had the inability to stop. I knew it would have a negative effect on me health-wise, financially, socially, but I would do it anyway. I'd feel bad when alcohol, the drug, wore off. I'd be depressed and sick and sometimes shaking. I'd even have a brain fog. I'd partake in reckless behaviour. I'd spend time thinking about the drug alcohol. It may not have taken over my whole life. It wasn't sneaking hip flasks wherever I went, but that didn't mean it wasn't a problem. I didn't attend a session or do a program or read a self-help book. But sometimes our symptoms don't show like others do. That doesn't mean that we aren't affected. We all have more in common than we don't. I'm Annie and... I think that we could all do with a little bit more help. This is Annie and Bianca coming to you live from Saliso, which is my nickname for self-isolation because it sounds better than... <laughs> and it reminds me of Calypso and I like a Calypso, so... And that is so far from anywhere that we are right now. <laughs> it's We're completely in a different. Completely yeah. closed off bunker. Yeah, but you know, the show must go on. Obviously, this is a very disturbing time for our society. Mm. Yeah. I'm frightened. I'm frightened too. Living, I mean, life as we know it has has changed. Uh, the good news is, though, we won't be putting any ads in for the comedy show, so you don't have to listen to that. There goes five minutes. We get five <laughs> minutes extra podcast. Melbourne Comedy Festival yeah. has been cancelled. Oh, the whole world has stopped. I mean, the whole world <laughs> has been cancelled. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I know that in 2020 we like cancelling things. Do we have to cancel yeah, the world? I know, yeah. They're like, you're cancelled. I'm sick of this. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, 2020... You're cancelled. Yeah. Uh, but look, yeah, everyone's on lockdown. Well, not lockdown, but Saliso, which I'm really trying to get some that moving. Pl- well, some places in the world are. Yeah, some places are on um, lockdown. lockdown. I am sure that you've seen a lot of people making drinking jokes during this critical time. Yeah. 
It is. Thoughts? What are you? <laughs> lots of thoughts. Lots of thoughts. Yeah, give, uh, me, give me your thoughts. Okay, so one, mm. if we're talking about coronavirus mm. and it's going to, uh, if you've got a compromised immune system, then mm. drinking affects your immune system. Yeah, people. that's it. Give your immune system a fighting chance and don't drink. Yep. Pretty much. Yeah. Two, mm. probably not going to help your depression. Mental health right yeah. now is very important to look after. I feel as well as I've ever felt in my life, but I'm feeling really down about the state of everything. Yeah. It's it's hard not to. Yeah, it's it's also a time where this is different to anything that any of us have expected before. We haven't seen anything like this on a global scale before, so it's very uncharted waters. Mm. And that's my and advice. You've got Stick to, l- to the waters. You know? <laughs> yeah. Don't be drinking. <laughs> and you've drink. got a lot of time to think about it. The last time I felt probably anxious, like, was I remember getting on the school bus and on the radio, it was the announcement that we had gone to the Middle East to fight the war after September 11. And I remember feeling a bit frightened. But then I went to school and I was distracted and Mm. had my life kept sort of going. There was other stuff too. We're we're all sort of locked down and Mm. on our phones, which is just saturated by COVID-19, COVID-19, it's really easy to get down about it, really... I mean, yeah. It's so drink, anyway, the point is drinking yeah. is not going to help. But. I mean, I am really grateful actually that I'm sober at this time because I 100% would have been just shit-faced this entire time. Mm-hmm. Like I used to use drinking as sort of a time machine, you know. I really would. I would be like, well, I don't like this day anymore so I'm just going to drink and then the next thing I know it'll be tomorrow and I'm really glad that I'm not doing that. Those and that have trouble socialising. Yeah, that's the thing. So many people have said, oh, well, I haven't gone so because like, I am really social and it's just too hard. Not a problem anymore. Good so time Good for time you for you to, to sober up. Sober up maybe. If you're sober curious – now is a great time. And I guess that's what today's episode is about, mm-hmm. is different ways to get sober. Yeah. As I've mentioned once, twice, three times, uh, many times, I got sober from reading This Naked Mind by Annie Grace, which I do recommend that you give a read, but there are other ways that you can get sober. The most known way is Alcoholics Anonymous. That's kind mm-hmm. of everyone knows about AA. And I was terrified of AA. It was not something that I thought I would ever want to do. It seems very bleak to me. So, Well, it seems really serious, doesn't it? It is serious. And also... I mean, it is serious. I mean, but oh, it's definitely serious. But it's sort of, you know, you see what you see in movies and TV. You have to go there. It's kind of like going to the gym. And you actually have to make the effort. You have to like get out of your house and mm. go rather than just, you know, going on YouTube and or doing like a a thing at home, yeah. a routine at home. And no one can see you. No one knows well, that you're Well, it's accessible. You can at. go, yeah. you can just do it whenever you want. Mm-hmm. That's sort of, yeah. yeah. And it's, uh, you know, as well, this is another thing that put me off was that I always sort of thought, okay, yeah, my drinking's bad. But I don't know if I'm bad enough to go to AA and I don't want to, you know, go up against these heavyweights. Or you're going to seem a little bit pathetic if you go in there and you're like, well, I drink like a cask of goon on the it's weekend. It's always a drinking competition yeah, in this country. Right? <laughs> right? right amongst the drums. So I kind of thought, yeah. no, well, that's for real people. I don't want to take time away from those that need it. Need so I don't it, yeah. need it. And, you know, completely missing the fact that I probably maybe did need it. I mean, I remember there was uh, watching the episode of You Can't Ask That for Alcoholics. And this was about a month or two before I went sober that I watched that. And I think I messaged you, you and did. I said, yeah, I just watched this. And I, I was, oh, it was so weird. The day that you messaged me that, all I thought was, 
I wonder if she understands she's an alcoholic. (laughs) (laughs) Like I was so terrified watching it because every word that was coming out of their mouth resonated with me. And I Googled Alcoholics Anonymous near me. Then I just thought, no, 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 don't make that step, Bianca. That's too, no, no, no. If you make that step, then life as you know, it's going to change and you'll end up being labelled an alcoholic. That's terrible. Don't do it. And just like close the app and was like, no, no, you've still got control over this. Because it really was terrifying to be labelled an alcoholic. It never crossed my mind that maybe I was an alcoholic, but it also never crossed my mind, don't let it get to that stage. Also, break down the taboo of the word alcoholic. After everything that we've discussed on this podcast, how you're targeted by advertising, how you're exposed to drinking Mm -hmm. at such a young age, how it's so normalised in this country and stuff, and then how we're always meant to feel really bad about the actions that we've taken Mm. rather than the control that alcohol has had over us. I don't think the word alcoholic should be as taboo as it is. We should be going, well, yeah, lots of people are. Mm. Lots of people have a drinking issue. Well, this is the thing that I found helpful in the book that Annie Grace talks about and she talks about it being uh, the pitcher plant, which is a plant that is designed to attract bugs to it and then they get stuck in the syrup and they die, right? And they liken it to alcohol where you see this attractive plant, you're drawn to it and you start drinking the nectar. You realise that you're a little bit stuck. You get stuck and then you're like, no, no, but it's okay because I can fly away. So I'm just going to keep drinking this delicious nectar. You look down and you see the bodies of other bugs that have been sucked in and you're like, yeah, but I'm different to them because I would be smart enough to fly away. I got this, I got this. And then the next thing you know, you've been sucked in and you're drowning too. And that's very similar to alcohol. We are always blaming the person that becomes the alcoholic, never thinking, well, actually they got stuck and anyone can get stuck. That's the thing. I think the term alcoholic is misleading because we tend to then think, Those people are different. People that become alcoholics are different to me. That's not going to happen to me. The thing is, alcohol addiction doesn't discriminate. Anyone can become affected by it. And even if you think that you're not an alcoholic because you're like, well, I spend $100 on a bottle of wine, I don't drink goon, doesn't mean that you're not addicted to alcohol. You're just spending more money on that habit. And as we know, money isn't a gauge of anything. Yeah. You know, you can get cheap stuff that's got big alcohol content. It's also how your body processes Mm -hmm. it, all of those things. Oh, yeah, it doesn't discriminate. So for me personally, I don't use the term alcoholic because I find it isn't helpful because I think it really puts a lot of the responsibility on the person and not the substance. You know, we'll say drug addict, but we say alcoholic. So it's like you're the one that can't stop yourself. But someone that's a heroin addict is like, well, they're just, you know, they're a person that unfortunately has this addiction. By saying alcohol addiction, we make the point that it is addictive and that you've just got an addiction. You're not this weak-willed person that can't help themselves. And I think that it's actually quite helpful to use the term alcohol addiction instead of alcoholic. That kind of helped me for myself, just changing the frame of mind of, okay, you're not a pathetic person. You're not defined by your drinking, you have an addiction to a substance and you can stop it. You can put the wheels in motion to stop. So I find that really helpful. And I definitely would say I, I don't want to ever put anyone off any version of what's going to help them. What's going to help them, absolutely. And there are so many different versions out there that if Alcoholics Anonymous is scaring you, 
there are different options. We had Bex Weller on who has an online program, Sexy Sobriety. Mm. There are different programs that can help you. So for me personally, Annie Grace's book really helped me. I have a friend that goes to AA and she says that that really helps her. So there's different options out Um, there. And even in this episode, we'll talk about going into a rehabilitation. Rehabilitation centre. So there's definitely different options out there. So the thing that did put me off was it's, it's uncomfortable for me to go to a room of strangers and sit down and admit I have a problem. That was something I couldn't do. But for me to read a book, which I found I'm actually really good at self help books. I've learned that. Like I've read Marie Kondo's book, and within two days, my life. Now you're onto the barefoot investor. You're actually, (laughs) yeah, really. I can sit down and take a lesson from a book. That's it. And the thing is, you just straight away implemented into your life. (laughs) There's no grace period. I thought that the I thought that the thing about self help books was that they're a bit of a laugh because you read them and then you don't actually do anything about it. Not me. I'm militant. No. It's the thing. Any, You're now addicted to yeah, self-help. Any avenue in my life that's not working, I'm like, oh, I'll just read a book about it. I read one on sex. Instantly helped me, you know. Really? And, yeah, and I read it. This was, you know, we did an episode on sex and I was so nervous about having sex sober. So I thought, oh, I'll just read a book about it. And the first time I used some of the tips in the book, Palmer was like, what have you done? <laughs> he was like, what happened? What Who was that? Who sleeping with to learn that? Yeah. I was like, no, I haven't cheated on you. Simply just read a book. And he was like, what's this fucking book? I need to know what it is. So, yeah. Anyway. How, how have you felt um, watching all of the COVID-19 oh. um, drinking stuff online? Look, first of all, I just want to say... I know that a lot of businesses have been affected by COVID and it breaks my heart, but no one's taken more of a hit than Corona. (laughs) I mean, it is so unfortunate for them. It really is. Like, I'm not laughing. I just, I mean, it's It's so bad, isn't it? Yeah. No one's taken more of a hit. So the Corona jokes, I mean, for someone that is like, yeah, you know, let's not, support the alcohol industry for me I'm loving that part of it yeah um but yeah it has been stressful I think you know seeing a lot of people making jokes about being home and drinking but at the same time I 100% would have been that person I mean I was a real uh you you loved a good drinking joke I mean that was the joke of your life that was it my life was the joke and I think that we you know sometimes come on here a bit strong about Oh, but, do we? Oh, <laughs> you think do so? We're do we? a little bit strong. No, but we come on here and we're like, oh, they're doing this and they're doing that. Well aware that we did it. Well oh, aware. I literally wore an outfit completely covered in VB. I drank the VB cans, I cut out the cans and I made a head-to-toe outfit out of VB cans. I am well aware that I, I had a glorify post that went, booze. I had a post that went viral that said on it, you know, the one about twin questions, the mm. one that went like internationally oh, viral. Yeah. On that it said, oh, you've got your hands full. Yeah, I do, with glasses of wine or something. Jeez. Oh, my God. We so, even did a video about 90s mums and we ended it saying first moment to myself all day and we had a sip of wine. So, yeah, yeah. we are absolutely guilty of being a part of that problem. But I would like to just say, I think we're... The joke's done. Well, yeah. I mean, we're, we've, we've made up for it, to yeah. say the least. Yeah. The thing that just sort of annoys me now is that it's just lame. It's just like... It's, the, oh, it's, it's been not, done. It's actually not even about the alcohol. It's just like the joke's done. Okay. The joke's okay. done. Okay. The joke's yes, overdone. But the guy saying, chin, chin, 
with the glass of wine to, oh, to himself. himself in the mirror. Fucking Funny. hilarious. <laughs> Loved it. He's like, put a new spin on it. If you're going to do it, do yes. it. But that could have, that was interchangeable with a coffee cup or any a glass of water. cheering? Cheering. With a oh, I don't know. coffee but cup. But you know, like, who gets a coffee oh. cup? And- okay, I'll give yeah. him that one. I mean, that's one yeah. point. For that's that one point. Drinkers. Yeah, but. But generally speaking, mm. it's sort of like I would rather knock knock jokes come back, you know? Give me a oh. chicken crossing the road. Yeah, definitely. Why did the chicken not cross the road? Because coronavirus <laughs> is on the other side. Because <laughs> it had to keep a one, yeah, one and a half metre brilliant. distance. We, I would just like to remind everyone this is a comedy podcast and that was just another example of the A-grade comedy <laughs> that we like to put down. So we're going to actually do – this is the big one that we're doing today. We've got my personal hero, Annie Grace, on today. And I would just like to remind okay, remind people of information that I'm only just now telling you. When we recorded this episode, Annie Grace lives in America. So we had to record it at 2 a.m.? No, 3 a.m. Yeah, 3, 3 a.m. in the morning. When I came over to your house at a quarter to three in the goddamn morning, my neighbour was leaving his house at the same time time and I thought are you a baker, baker? <laughs> I thought he must be a baker that's the only explanation we had a big chat about this we have podcast. had a chat about this and, and uh, you know for those of you that haven't been with us the whole journey I was very surprised to find out that bakers start work at like one in the morning because they're baking bread yeah and you said why would you kill yourself over bread it's <laughs> yeah. actually what you I said. mean really why now, would you can you imagine what breakers are doing right now in coronavirus? They Bianca? are working double but, time. Do you know, we cannot get bread. We are down yeah. there doing that thing where you line up. Oh, God, it's so humiliating, mm. isn't it? Since going sober, I've learned to make my own bread. So. <sighs> yeah, so look, this is Annie Grace. And yeah, I got to listen to my hero. Yes, I was. I am threatened by another Annie in your life. <laughs> <laughs> this is the third one I now. am actually not okay. Yeah. Like, I am meant to be the only Annie in your life. Yeah. And then I got an Annie on my netball team. You weren't happy about that. And then nope. Annie Grace And she's in, a, she's in our closed group. I tried to ignore all her posts. She, how dare she? Annie, she can Annie that's listening, our... I am so sorry that Annie no, is threatened by you. Just change your name and then it's fine. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. No, I had it first. But, yeah, this is Annie Grace and I just want to apologise for my gushing. It's hilarious. It's not hilarious, but yeah, I was a little bit excited. You you would have thought it was Miley. Enough now. Okay. Okay, All let's right. listen. All right, bye. Bye. Yeah. No? Oh, I'm just nervous. Um, okay, so yeah, yeah, no, call now. That's right. Are you all right? Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> You're freaking I'm me just up. like, oh, it's happening. <gasps> yeah. I'm just about to call you hero. <laughs> Oh, oh, oh. Okay, here we go. Like, what do you say to someone that... We've got interview questions. <laughs> Stick to them. This is Annie. Hi, Annie. This is Bianca and Annie. Annie. I'm also Annie. Oh, awesome. <laughs> How are you? Great. Thank you so much for being on our podcast. I just firstly want to say thank you so much i'm sure you get this all the time but you saved my life with your book so thank you so much oh thank you yeah that's awesome yeah it's um it has just changed my entire life so i really appreciate it and i'm really excited to start doing this podcast and hopefully getting other people into onto your book and changing their lives too 
Um, Annie, how is this naked mind different from other sobriety methods such as AA? Yeah, I think it's interesting because I think I approach it from a totally different perspective. Like I really want to make the conversation around drinking a wellness conversation, not an addiction conversation. And so that is one of the key things that is different. You know, it's not necessarily speaking to people who are clinically or chemically dependent. Certainly a lot of what I deal with is and speak to is people's mental or emotional dependence, which according to the Center for Disease Control, only 10% of people are clinically dependent, 10% of excessive drinkers. And so that's one big differentiator. And I think another big one is that I'm really focused on a very positive, compassionate path to change, like towards the positive rather than sort of a fear-based or shame-based way to change. So for instance, like I wouldn't use the word relapse. Like if you have a drink, I would really consider that a data point where you're going to just have a look and see, okay, did that serve me? Did that not serve me? It doesn't have to have this whole like, oh, I relapsed. I lost my time sober. I, and I don't even necessarily promote counting days. It's, it's really a mindful uh, choice and decision. And I think another one of the big differentiators is while most people who go through my method and understand the science behind alcohol, they want to happily remain alcohol free. I don't approach it from that needs to be the requirement or the standard. Like the standard that I really want people to strive for is peace in their relationship with alcohol mm-hmm. and not necessarily rules or black and white. And that's just, you know, a lot based on how I am, but then how the the mind works. The mind doesn't necessarily love rules and we have this forbidden fruit syndrome. So I think those are some of the main differentiators. Yeah, that is actually really true. I um, went through your method. I started, I know you said to read the book like a chapter a day so it really sinks in but I couldn't stop and I (laughs) um, consumed the book in two days and was just like that's it I'm never going to drink again and it was such an easy decision because it was just like I'm not even really counting days like I'm aware of the days and how long it's been but it's literally like my body's just like I don't want it like I just there's nothing it doesn't it please me anymore I just have no desire to drink it and that's what's so crazy is because I don't feel guilty about having had drunk but I also just feel like oh this is just my life now being so great yeah and it's it's just so crazy because I, I think if you've mentioned this in the book but the whole thing I guess when I was drinking the thought of being um labeled an alcoholic and going to rehab even when I had even considered like I need to get help or you know maybe go to AA the thought of having to just be sober all the time and be constantly wanting alcohol and yeah as you said counting the days I was like oh sort of I would rather not do that at all yeah exactly exactly yeah so it's a really good method and it's crazy that alcohol Alcoholics Anonymous does still call it like an addiction to alcohol, like an an allergy, I think you said in the book. Yeah, I mean, in some early literature of AA, it's really like an allergy. And I mean, yes, some people, a very tiny percentage of the population are actually allergic to alcohol, but they wouldn't be able to drink at the levels that people who walk into AA drink. So, you know, the, the idea that I think the the point of that conversation about, you know, it being framed initially as an allergy within the AA literature Mm. is that it really created an us and them situation. It created, okay, I'm addicted. I'm different. I'm not normal. 
And I think that's done a lot of harm in our society because actually like human beings made up of blood and flesh and bone Mm. (laughs) can get addicted to alcohol because alcohol is addictive. And so when we said, no, no, it's just a certain percentage of the population and even further, it's an allergy, we ended up, you know, really, I mean, I had a very personal experience with this where I had a woman, a very close friend of mine, and she went to AA and got sober And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm really worried about my drinking. Like I drink all the time. We drink together. What what about me? And she said, oh, Annie, I've learned that. No, 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 you're totally different. I learned that I'm an alcoholic and I was born this way. And so to my mind, I didn't have any education around this. I was like, oh, okay. So that means that I'm not. And I guess I don't have to treat this with any sort of caution. Yes, caution to the wind. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so I think, you know, even more than debating the accuracy or not of the statement in the literature that it's an allergy is just this, you know, how much harm are we doing as a culture through this idea that it is this us and them, that there's a, there's a small segment of the population who are prone to be alcoholics and everybody else is totally fine. When, By the way, all the evidence shows us differently. I mean, the most harm from alcohol doesn't come even from the tiny percentage to 10 percent of excessive drinkers who are clinically dependent you know the the harm to society comes from the majority Mm. of excessive drinkers who are drinking on a regular basis you know on the next point that I was going to ask you about because you do mention in the book becoming sort of like the alcohol evangelist um (laughs) and it is kind of (laughs) difficult once you read your book and um you kind of understand Annie's my favorite Annie's favorite term is the true horror. So the true horror of alcohol. Um, But how do you try to gently tell your friends about it without being that preachy sober friend that no one wants to hear from? Because we're both vegans, (laughs) so we're used to people not wanting to hear what we have to say. Well, I think it's, uh, yeah, so what I did (laughs) is I did the opposite of what probably was most effective. And I did, I, I came in like a bulldozer and basically said, Oh my gosh, you guys, look what I learned. This is so bad for us. And it's not even making us happy anyway. It's just a trick in the brain. It doesn't for us and like all this stuff. And, um, and everybody like just tuned me out because they couldn't even process it. And, you know, it wasn't interesting to them for me to be so pushy and preachy. And then when I realized that like I was actually doing damage to the relationship, the thing about, about advice in general is that the only advice you ever listen to is the advice you're at, you ask for yourself, the advice that you proactively seek out. Mm. And so unsolicited advice is almost always discarded. And so when I was like, okay, right, so I'm not going to do that anymore. What I am going to do is I'm just going to show up and I'm just going to be me and I'm just going to not drink. And through the years of doing that, it's incredible how much my social circles have changed in regards to alcohol, how many people have said, hey, so this thing you're doing, that's interesting. And actually, they're asking about it. And I'm pretty strict on it. I do not talk to people about their drinking unless they ask me. And I know that can be hard when you're filled with the passion of it, but I just I just don't. And I noticed that just by making a statement of not drinking myself, people notice and they notice in a way that they get curious instead of defensive. That yeah. is such a good point. Um, yeah. Cause I was the party girl and then just, I stopped drinking, but I sort of kept it hidden because I didn't want, uh, like I didn't want people to judge me for being sober. Well, yeah. well, the other thing about Bianca is she is the party girl. And if people knew that she had given up drinking, I know 
because she tried in the past. I know I knew that everyone would freak out. They'd be like, oh, no, if Bianca's not drinking, then all our party days are over. Yeah, so I kind <laughs> of just yeah kept up the pretense, like always had a non-alcoholic beer in my hand. Like no one had any idea. And then when I came out and was like, oh, like it's been three months and I've been sober, people were kind of like going back in their head and being like, wait, so that party that we were at, you were completely sober. And I'm like, yeah. They kind of took a step back and were like, okay, well, nothing changed. You were still the same person at that party. I had a good time. You had a good time and started looking at their own behaviours. And I would say almost every single one of my friends, um, without me even saying anything while I was being sober, after coming out and saying, oh, yeah, I was sober, they are all, I think, reflecting on their behaviour with alcohol. I haven't even had to really open my mouth. (laughs) <laughs> although she did preach to me and then and I don't drink so yeah the preaching worked on one person I got all my preaching out on Annie and uh, she it pretty worked. much recited the, she we had we had to drive to work and she pretty much recited the entire book to me before I got to get to it myself yeah but it's it's hard because when you are like you discover this new thing it's much like veganism. You're like, oh my god, we've been lied to our whole life. I've seen the light. I've seen the light. Like, how are you doing this to your bodies now? Yeah, and I was yeah. like, great. Now I'm going to be the sober vegan friend. But <laughs> I, yeah, I've got to stop myself. But yeah, no, I think just by yeah leading by example, and people really are taken aback. Like, what? How is? How are you doing this? So yeah. Um, Annie, would I be able to ask a question about children? Because obviously it's one thing to just be normal whatever around your friends and then pick up on it. But when you change your habits, it's very different around your kids. And I'm just wondering, in terms of drinking around children, how harmful is it, do you think? And when you've changed your habit, do you think that drinking in front of your kids versus not drinking in front of your kids, like how harmful is it to drink in front of your children? Well, it's such an interesting question. And I mean, it, you know, who knows? I, I, okay, so I was at a, a dinner party where there were some kids about, I don't know, probably a year ago. And everybody was pouring wine and the 12 year old went and got a wine glass and poured his, his grape juice into a wine glass. And you know, little things like that. It's, it's so, it's, it's an unspoken thing of like, oh, that's what you do when you're adult and you have fun. I mean, it's very ingrained subconsciously. So how harmful is that? I think there's a huge influence. Now, equally, I didn't grow up in a drinking home and I ended up drinking tons and tons anyway. So I don't know, you know, definitively. And I do think that in some cases, if you grow up in a drinking home, that's really non-functional it actually can drive you away from drinking to some degree. So, you know, it's, it's so across the board. But one of the questions that kind of stopped me in my tracks was, okay, well, would you allow uh, somebody to do cocaine in front of your kids? Or would you allow them to even smoke a bowl in front of your kids? Or, you know, would, would you allow that? Like, what, how does that make you feel? And why is this different? And I think if you approach it through that framework and really ask yourself that question, then you'll come up with answers that work for you. Because I think it's like anything else in life. If if we try to do something just because of guilt or fear, it doesn't actually work or serve the right purpose, right? Because then we're like just resenting our kids. It's like, oh, great. Now we have to wait till they go to bed. And then, I mean, I remember, you know, feeling like, okay, well, I can't have another glass of wine until my kids are in bed. And then, you know, trying to hurry them into bed, which is so much less fair than just having the class aligned in front of them yeah. <laughs> and probably more destructive, right? So I think we have to approach it from like, 
let's think about this and come to a place that really feels peaceful to us instead of a, okay, now I'm going to add guilt to this whole thing because I've done it in front of my kids. Yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah, that's so true. Like the peacefulness, which is what really what you I have absolutely kids. done the rush them to bed thing and then got got angry at them because they were just being kids really. But oh, <laughs> like oh, because they were getting up and mm. just being what children do, you know, yeah. ch- you know, testing the boundaries. Like, this but this is mummy's time. <laughs> yeah, stop it. <laughs> but but yeah. now that I don't drink, it's not even a yeah. And, and again. I, I was definitely someone that would say that I didn't really even have that, yeah, like a relationship with alcohol like you had to be. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I grew, definitely grew up in a drinking house. Like I'm Croatian, so it's kind of like a part I, of what we do. And yeah. I don't think I realised until much later in life how much it did have an effect on me because it was yeah. just so celebrated mm. and so normalised. And I, dr- I grew up in a household where my parents didn't really drink at all. Yeah. So, yeah, so interesting. Society has a huge problem with the glorification of alcohol. <laughs> and like we live in Australia, so it's kind of like a part of our national identity here. Yeah, in, in Australia, when a Prime Minister chugs a beer... It's seen as like they're yeah. worthy to lead our country. He's a hero. That's what people base their politician on. Yes. I honestly think if you were to ask Australians who's your favourite Prime Minister, they'd say Bob Hawke purely yeah. because he's down to beer In, at the cricket game. He's got a Guinness Book of Records Yeah, but yeah. people don't actually know any policies. Yeah, it's funny actually being Australian because every time you see Aussies represented in other countries that we're always drinking a Foster's. And I've never even seen anyone drink a Foster's <laughs> in my life. But, yeah, obviously... Well, I think that that needs to change. The glorification of alcohol sort of needs to change. And what steps can I as an individual do to help change the mindset and yeah. change well, the, the bigger, drinking culture, yeah. the bigger picture? I think, I think honestly it really comes back to just showing up, not drinking. Uh, I think what I mean by that is so often when we stop drinking, we stop showing up at the places we were drinking. Now, I'm not saying that you should do the showing up if it's making you really uncomfortable, if it's making you triggered, or if it's making you question, you know, your own sobriety or whatever, obviously. But I think there's just not enough of that. So often when somebody stops drinking, they just kind of ghost and they find different set of friends, different circumstances. And the truth is that this isn't going to change. Like if you look at it like a bell curve, right? So at the beginning of the bell curve, there's the people who really rarely drink or barely ever don't drink. And then in the middle, there's the vast majority. And then on the other end, it's the people who have had really massive problems with alcohol. And society is going to shift when the middle shifts. And the middle is going to shift when this becomes a wellness conversation, when this becomes a health conversation, when this moves away from being a, are you addicted, do you have a problem conversation to, huh, you know what, I think I, I, think I want to you know, detox a little bit. And you know, similar to, well, yeah, being vegan, I'm going to look mindfully at my drinking. And I think that that conversation is what's going to change society. Yeah, okay. So, like, actually just leading by example, I guess, and showing that you can. Yeah, exactly. Just literally showing up at the places you used to show up and not drinking. And as opposed to, I think so often people stop drinking and then they, they do, they get a new set of friends. And not to say that you shouldn't. I mean, you obviously make new friends all the time. But just being part of the society not drinking, you know, it, it, if we go and hide our freedom from alcohol and cloister ourselves, like I don't think we have the ability to impact, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, no, that's actually a really good point, yeah. I think. Because I know like when I was trying to cut back, I would feel really proud of myself because like, I'd still go to the bar, but I would leave at like a reasonable hour. And then, you know, the next day all of my friends would be hungover, but I would sort of like be gloaty about the fact <laughs> that like, well, I was there, but like, yeah, I left early, like I tapped out. Um, but then again, like my drinking caught back up with me and I was the one that was in a few months time I was the one that was there all night and had a really bad hangover the next day but now I will go to the bar and just you know order a soda water or something and sit and stay with my friends and stuff and I think for them to see oh like B's here we're not losing her as a friend and she's just like still at a bar and not drinking kind of then makes them think like well I could maybe do that too it's also important Mm -hmm. for you you know it's not it's not even about society. It's not even about your friends and setting an example. It's it really I I have found that it's really important for you because you mm. are such a social person, and to you know mm. it just meant that nothing really had to change except for alcohol was just taken out of the picture. The only oh that and I have standards for where I'll go. Like before, I'd be like <laughs> wherever's open, let's just get going. Like I don't care if it's the scungiest bar. But now I'm like God, no, I'm not going there. That's disgusting. <laughs> So, Annie, I'm just wondering, how do we let go of the past? Yeah, like all the dumb shit we did when we were drunk. Because I have a long history and it is full to the brim of just embarrassing shit. Yeah, so I think there's a few ways to think about this. So I think one of the ways that's really powerful, and I actually heard it from a woman uh, called Brooke Castillo. She has a podcast that I enjoy called The Life Coach School. And she said, you know, don't think of it as, you know, then was wrong and now is better. Just think of it as moving to completion, right? So, you know, I I used to go out and be out all night, and now I'm complete with that in my life. I've had that experience. I did that, and that experience was part of one of the – like, it's so cool to have all the experiences. That's really awesome. But now I'm done having that experience, you know? Like, I used to have the experience of dating, and now I'm married and I don't feel regret about my dating. I just feel like, okay, I'm, I'm done with that. That was part of what got me here. So like I'm, I'm complete with it. And so I really liked that reframe because I was That's like, awesome. oh, okay, like I, I'm complete with, you know, you could be complete with eating meat or, you know, dairy or whatever or complete with drinking and just like, okay, I've had that experience. I've, I've topped that up. Like I've filled that up. I've had all the experiences and now actually I'm just complete with it. So that was one way that I, I found really helped me. And then I have another thought on this too, and that is when we find ourselves, especially when we, we let guilt and regret keep creep in, it's so interesting because those emotions really can be selfish. <laughs> and so this is what I mean by that, is when we, it feels guilt and beating ourselves up and regretting something that we've done, it feels good in the moment to us because it satisfies our need for like internal justice, right? Like it feels like, okay, now I've, I've shown her, like I, I beat myself up. Like I, like there's some pleasure in making ourselves wrong, but it's very short lived and it's very indulgent because if you ask yourself a bigger question of who am I in the world and how do I show up to the people I love and to myself when I'm feeling feelings of guilt and regret, then you see, oh, wait a second. When I'm showing up to myself feeling feelings of guilt and regret, I'm much less motivated to take care of myself in the present. You know, I'm much less motivated to, um, like I go into an inner turmoil rather than being really present for the people around me that I love. And so I always try to run 
thoughts in my head through a framework of like, how does that make me feel and how does it make me behave? And it becomes less about the truth or not. Yeah, maybe, maybe I wish I wouldn't have done that. But if I feel if the guilt now, is it actually serving me in any way? Or is it just kind of scratching that itch of, oh, because guilt doesn't feel comfortable. If I get really mad at myself and look like get into this beating myself up about it, then I'm going to be feel better in the moment. But actually just perpetuates the whole thing. Does that make sense? I know it's kind of an abstract Absolutely. Yeah, you're, like, you're like the Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> you should see, see your two... <laughs> you like got two disciples on the other end, just yeah. like yeah, 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 yeah. Preacher, preacher. <laughs> yeah, loved it. It's hard because part of me feels like I've finally got my life back. Like it's almost like when I think of things in the past, or I'll see photos and like, oh, that's when I was, that's when I was still drinking, sort of thing. It's like a different person, to be honest. I'm really disconnected from it in a way because. I just don't feel like it was me almost. I feel like for the first time in my life, I'm the person that I was, could have always been, I guess. But I just had this issue with alcohol just sort of, because I hated my drunk self. I don't know why I kept getting drunk. You know, like I'm just like angry that I sort of like let myself do that. Guilt doesn't but serve guilt you. Guilt doesn't you serve. So now not? I'm like, oh, okay, if I can let that go, yeah, I'll exactly. be even better. It's just a, you just should think of it like being a teenager when you look back on all the things you did when you're a teenager and you just oh, cringe. Writing like, a letter oh. saying, I'm running away. I'm going, I told my mum, I was like, I'm going to live in Croatia and wrote a letter <laughs> and left. And I was like, how did I think I was getting there? I don't even have a passport. And I was like, no, that's it. I'm going to live with my family so you in just, Croatia. I reckon maybe if anything, just cringe and go, oh, well, that yeah. was funny. I mean, it got me this far. It got, got me, it, it served me to this point. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Annie. Like, we really appreciate yeah, it. Thank you so, so much. And, like, again, thank you for everything. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for writing your book. Mm-hmm. Like, it, you've helped so many people. And if anyone is listening, I highly recommend you read This Naked Mind. If Minds. anyone is listening, oh, my God. As <laughs> it, way to sell no, us. I just feel like it's this time of the morning <laughs> that I'm like. Uh, but, yeah, read This Naked Mind and The Alcohol Experiment by Annie Grace. Annie, is there any other books or anything that you would like us to listen to or promote? promote? No, that's great. And, yeah, thank you for having me. It's really fun. Thank you so, so much. We really appreciate it. And um, we'll be in touch with uh, yeah when it comes out. All right, sounds great. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks Annie. Bye. Oh my god, that was really good. We talked to you. I know, and like what she made say said made even more sense to me. Your face as she talked was so cute. You were just, I mean, she's not even in this room, but you were looking up to her, like you were physically looking up. Like, oh my god! How dare yeah. you? Uh, I was, was so not. Good. I was looking at the recording to make. To Dolly, <laughs> you're just staring off into the distance. Like it's it's three a.m. But the early. clouds, the clouds parted and the sun. I felt shined like Simba looking up at Mufasa in the clouds. Yes, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. She really is like that. Bianca. She's like Yoda. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, that was really good. I'd like to go back to bed, please. Okay, bye.
Okay, so that was a very exciting time for me, speaking to my hero. And I do like what she talked about, shame and getting over the shame of all of my past behaviour. I just want to say that, yes, that interview was very helpful for me, but do you know what's been the most helpful for me and getting over my shame? (laughs) Doing this fucking podcast. (laughs) The difference in myself from episode one to now is miles apart. Remember when we were a little bit scared to divulge certain aspects of our past behaviour or feelings or thoughts Mm -hmm. or Mm. anything? Not a problem anymore. I do. I'm a little bit confused where we go from here. Yeah, I know. I just, you know, the first episode, I was so emotional and I was dealing with so much shame and emotion that I hadn't actually visited. And actually talking about it to you, to thousands of people. Coronavirus. I did it into my elbow. Sorry. Get the fuck away from me. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, talking to the thousands of people that listened to it, it has been such a healing process for me. And I just want to say thank you to you, to the listeners, because I've healed just from this podcast. We do have one more interview coming up, which is from someone that's been to rehab. And I think that this is quite an interesting interview. This was one of the very first interviews that we ever conducted. This was when we were only a couple of months sober. And this person is a bartender that we know. We know them personally. Yes. Yes. Now they haven't stopped drinking. And I find this interview really interesting because really we just sat down to have a chat about what they thought as a bartender. Conducted this interview initially because we thought that we would have some insights on what it would be like to be the person giving the drinks over and and seeing the behaviour of people. And then it quickly turned into a personal experience and a reflection on their own journey. Yeah, and we absolutely have their permission to share it and we're so grateful that they're letting us share it. See, when we first started this, we actually thought, oh, we'll go down to the pub and we'll vox pop everyone down there and Mm. see what they think about drinking. Then we very quickly realised, even though we asked for consent of everyone that was there, they were drinking so they couldn't give consent. Mm -hmm. So all of those interviews we've just scrapped. Yeah, we scrapped them. Morally, it just didn't sit quite right. However, this interview was really quite amazing. And so we – actually, I was in the pharmacy – and he came up to me and he was like, when am I going to be on the podcast? <laughs> and we were like, no, we're no, not using that. that. Like we don't get, you know, we don't have your consent. And he said, absolutely, you have my consent. So he wants us to share it. And so it's maybe hard to listen to at times, but I'm really happy that we get to share it with you. We're almost coming to the end of our mini series, actually. I think we've only really got one more interview to do with a very exciting celebrity. But next week's episode, we'll be doing a Q&A. And you can head to our website, annieandbianca.com.au, if you have any questions you want us to answer specifically about drinking, because I know, and I'm sure you get it the same, Annie, you get messages all the time from people. Mm, no, I don't think so. I think that most people write to you. Okay. So <laughs> I, and I'm, I'm happy. This is the thing. I'm more than happy to answer people's questions, but I do feel that I answer the same questions a lot of the time. So this is a chance for you to email us. You can DM me if you want it to go on the podcast. Just say, hey, this will go on the podcast. Everyone will be anonymous. I'm not going to mention your name. 
but we'll do a little Q&A episode and then we'll just have our last episode after that. So yeah, perfect. Good drawing to a close. On our website, just click the tab button that says podcasts and then there is a drop down button that says the alcohol mini series. On that page is where you can write to us. Excellent. So this is our friend who was a bartender discussing their drinking habits and rehab. Okay, so you just you just gotta hold that like this near your mouth. Yeah, so not too far away. Do you do a test for me? Alrighty. Yeah, perfect. Alright, testy, <laughs> testies, one, two, three. That's good testies. What do you want from me out of this, by the way? Just answer the question. All right. Can we ask you how much have you had to drink tonight? So tonight I've had two and a half pots. So uh, what, like a one pint and half a pot, and then five stubbies. Yeah. So, what, essentially up to ten and a half standard drinks. Okay. And um, is that normal for you? Like, it's a Friday, so you haven't, like, you know, start in the weekend, or is that kind of... On a drinking night, I will go from... I will be minimum ten standard drinks. Okay. Up to sort of 20 to 30. And how many nights a week would you say you do that? Um, I'm at a good level at the moment, so I'm probably doing sort of three or four drinking days on in a week and then three or four off. So sort of maybe three on, four off or four on, three off. And when you say a good level at the moment, does that mean that it's been... It's been, it's been, uh, <laughs> it's been detrimental before. Okay. So um, what's the thing you like about drinking? Oh, I've thought about this one a lot. Um, so if we put this little bar that we're at at the moment into context. Yep. So this is a tiny bar that everyone knows each other at. This is a bar where you can walk in, buy a drink, and then sort of be friends with everyone very easily. That's yeah. one thing I love about drinking. Um, the Probably the social aspects are the things I love most about drinking. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> what's the thing you hate most about drinking? Uh, how easily I can get caught up in it. And I've been caught up in it very easily before. What do you mean? Oh, what do I mean? Oh, I have found myself... Uh, Drinking for any excuse many times in my life, and that's what I hate about it. There's a culture in Australia where you don't you drink for any occasion, sort of happiness, sadness, uh, death, life. No matter what, there's a there's a drink, and yeah. that's that's sort of I can get caught up in that, and that's what I don't like about it because yeah. it, it shouldn't necessarily be like that. What do you think of Australia's drinking culture? I think I, I ultimately I think it's extremely negative. I think it's extremely negative, and um, yeah, I think it's bad. Like, if you take Germany, for example, where you can, like, open a beer anywhere during the day and sort of, you know, that that's fine. But if you open a beer at 10 o'clock in Australia, sort of people think, you know, there's something detrimentally wrong with you, even if that's, if, if that's your first or you've been up for, you know, mm. sort of 36 hours doing cocaine for fucking the entire time. The drinking culture in Australia, is, it's very black and white, sort of like it's go, then stop, it's go, then stop. But then there's a lot of people who cannot just stop. And then that's where Australian drinking culture, in my opinion, comes back to bite itself. Right. Yeah. If that makes sense. I'm yeah, yeah. I totally get it. Um, what do you think about people that are sober or don't drink? I think fucking all credit to them, in honesty. I yeah. think all credit to them. Yeah. All credit to them. As do like, you have many sober friends? Um, I have friends that ban themselves from substances, and I think credit to them for banning themselves from that substance. But... Um, like completely sober friends, can't think of any off the top of my head. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that you would not be able to be sober? Like it's just too much 
it, like a lot of social aspects, because you said you like the social aspect of drinking, it would be hard for you socially to it, not drink. It would be it would be very hard. Yeah. But I know I can do it, but it would be very hard. Yeah. But I get dragged. I get dragged back. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. It's hard because you know everyone else is doing it, and so much of what we do is involved involves drinking. Mm. So yeah. And also from my career as well. Like I, I, I choose to be a bartender. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm trained in other trades. Yeah. And I was having this conversation at dinner earlier tonight. Like I'm a trained chef. Yeah, which is like a like a, even though chefs have their own fucking can of worms. Yeah. Like I am um I'm trained as a chef where I can make more money, but I still choose to be a bartender. And why is that? Because I'm I'm good at it. And <laughs> at the end of the day I love it. Yeah. But that whole social environment, the whole sort of where the party's at. Where the party's at. I love that. I, exactly. I love that. I love that. Do yeah. you as a bartender then see the really ugly side of alcohol and get really pissed off with drunk people? I see it constantly. It pisses me off and I actually justify their behaviour. Oh, you justify I it? I justify their behaviour. Because... Is good? In what way? How do you justify it? For example, there's a customer who just walked past. Sorry. Uh, there's a customer who just walked past who starts fights all the time here. I justify his behaviour constantly. And he, he started a fight here last Saturday. No, no, no. No, no, no. Um, the, he started a fight here last Saturday. I justified his behaviour and we had like 10 police here last Saturday night. And he's back here? He's back here, yeah. And that's okay? He's right over there. Right. And does that, and like, does he annoy you? Are you wary of him? He's on fucking thin ice. Yeah. But he's not going anywhere. <laughs> Do you not ban people from this establishment? Um, it's not he prints goal. our menus. He's a member of the community. <laughs> oh, shit. Okay. What have you witnessed as a bartender as a result of alcohol? Fights, um, people justifying very poor behaviour around women, people saying they're not going to do one thing, having a few drinks, and then doing a completely different thing. I like to call alcohol the relapse drug. Let's say you've stopped doing a substance and then have a few drinks. It makes it a whole bunch easier to do that substance after you've had a few drinks. Yeah, that's probably the thing I hate most about alcohol. What was that? It's sort of a whole bunch of people who have stopped doing drugs that aren't alcohol, having a few drinks and then doing those drugs. That's the thing I hate most about alcohol. Now, so you're saying that you have like 20 to 30 drinks on like a big night. Yeah, on a big night I Do would. Do you get hangovers and are they crippling? Because I'm drinking a lot less than I used to, I am now experiencing hangovers. So when I was drinking a lot more, I would never experience a hangover because, you know, the alcohol never left my system. Now I'm drinking a whole lot less. The next morning, like for example... Tuesday morning, yeah. <laughs> I was fucking hangover. I, I, I was hungover, and yeah. sort of because I'm drinking a whole lot less than I was. Sort of, I was like, all right, well, shit hot. This is actually an example of you not drinking as much, and because you're hating yourself right now, this is like another reason not to drink as much. Mm. I want to drink less and less, like as every day goes on. Yeah, and sort of, I want to do every time I do drink or take drugs. I'm like, all right, nah, nah, and it is. I can see it toning down and toning down and toning down, but yeah. I definitely, I definitely want to drink less and less as my life goes on, and especially more as I build a like a like an actual life, you know. Sort of yeah. like there's a difference between like have, like being 18 and building a life. You know, you don't build much of a life when you're 18 as much as you lie to yourself. Yeah. Sorry, um, <laughs> but the more of a life I build and the more I think about it, is the less I want to fucking do it because you, it slows you down. It just it slows you down. And you're 23, so it's hard, I guess, in your at your age group because everyone is kind of drinking. 
um, it would be hard to cut back at this point. But you see in the future that that is something that you want to do, cut back. Yeah, well, it's, 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 it's something I'm trying to proactively do now. It's also because, because even talking to my friends now and sort of how far I have gone with everything in sort of my life is nowhere near sort of the people my age group, most of them have gone in their life. So like, I think the worst one I ever did was um, a concussion at home was sort of like I was completely on my own at home and then sort of like I've slipped over in the kitchen because I spilled some water and then I've dragged the microwave that was sitting on my fridge off the top of my fridge because like I was trying to like uh, like stabilise myself on something as I was slipping and then I've slipped completely like hit my head on the tiles of the kitchen and then the microwaves hit me on the forehead and then I was out of it for like half an hour and then I've woken up like half an hour later to a voice in my head going, you need to wake up, you're going to die from concussion. You need to wake up, you're going to die from concussion. It was did full you, fucked. Did you take yourself to hospital? No, I uh, ate instant coffee and then made sure I stayed up so I didn't die from concussion. Oh, my God. And then six weeks later, I booked myself into rehab. When, um, when did you go to rehab? Uh, that was two years ago. Okay. And what is what does rehab entail? Uh, like, is it literally just not so, drinking? So between that... Um, instance and going to rehab I'd done two detoxes for uh, alcohol and another substance that I won't uh, reference yeah no worries wasn't meth it was the worst one and <laughs> this is where I knew the fucking uh, um, interview was gonna go and I was like oh no I shouldn't do it <laughs> so then sort of like after that situation I sobered myself up for a week because a rehab won't let you enter unless you've been sober for like a week what you yeah, have yeah. to be sober before yeah, or, they take you or you go from like a detox um, into a rehab and because I'd done um, the detoxes beforehand at the uh, place I was going to go to, I wouldn't, I wasn't allowed in unless I was like sober for seven days before the rehab. So I went to rehab. I think three weeks after that instance, I think I stayed on it for another week after that, and then two weeks later, I was like, all right, no, no, fucking, you got the rehab date booked in. Sober yourself up, otherwise they won't let you in. So what do they do in rehab? So it's usually twenty-eight days. I remember the worst thing about the rehab I was in was the first seven days. You're not allowed to like even go on like leave for like an hour during the day because they usually give you like an hour's leave during the day. First seven days, you can't even go on leave. It's the fucking lowest shit. You're just like stuck with your thoughts like sober for seven days. And like usually like I sort of I was in like a real dark place back then. Like sort of I didn't have any proper thoughts for like ages. Yeah, so that was tough. And then after the first week, they give you some like an hour's leave a day. And then, yeah, it's just sort of like a whole bunch of sort of like group therapy for four weeks. Then on the weekends you do like absolutely jack shit. It's like a whole bunch of sitting with yourself for like long periods of time, um, having very limited cigarette breaks and sort of doing a whole bunch of group therapy where you've got to like throw your heart on the line. Did it help? Like do do, Um, do they give you any tools to actually stop? Like you're not supposed to, but you build relationships in there and sort of like a lot of the people that I built relationships in there didn't take anything from it. I took a fucking lot from it. Okay. And I have not been in a place like that since. And that's that's like two years ago in three weeks. Wow. About that yesterday, actually. That's... I'm like, oh, three weeks, fuck yeah. <laughs> two-year anniversary. Yeah. So their aim isn't to make you sober people, just like... Um, their aim is to make you sober people, but sort of at least the one I was at, sort of if they can provide a whole bunch of harm reduction going into your future then, like, that's a success for them. When you got out of rehab, were you scared? Was it like, I- I'm scared, I'm in the big bad world? Yeah, but it was also sort of the, the drug I was doing was in a very sort of small sort of culture and sort of providing I didn't re-enter that culture, I knew I'd be all right. Mm. And sort of I haven't re-entered that culture since, so, like, the main problem minus drinking sort of hasn't been a problem since then. Um, 
drinking has been on and off, but sort of uh, since since going to rehab, I can always catch myself when I'm in like a really bad state. I know, like, talk to myself and go, all right, well, look at your behaviour. You know where you're going. If you keep behaving like this, you know exactly where you're going to end up. How long were you in rehab? Uh, so that was 2017, and that year I spent 37 days inside a mental institution, <laughs> for lack of a better term. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much. This has been... I think that's it. This podcast was produced, edited and hosted by me, Annie Nolan, and my best friend, Bianca Thompson. Music by Pleasant Pictures Music. We had sobriety quit lit royalty on this episode, Ms. Annie Grace. If you are interested in reading one of her books, and we highly recommend that you do, then check out This Naked Mind and The Alcohol Experiment. You can also join her online community by clicking the link in our show notes and following at This Naked Mind on Instagram and Twitter. Thanks must also go to our wonderful anonymous friend who generously told his story on this episode. As always, please make sure you're following us on social media channels. On Instagram, we are at We Want to Be Better. Facebook, we are We Want to Be Better. And come and join our closed group and forum at WW2BB Community Group. If you also wouldn't mind, it would be wonderful if you could rate, review and subscribe to this podcast. Thanks again for listening.